This story actually happened in April of 2011 in Baltimore. While staying alone in her convent because of a recent knee surgery, while all her fellow nuns were away at a conference, an 85-year-old nun got trapped inside a broken elevator for three nights and four days. She tried to push the inside of the elevator door open, but they wouldn't budge. She had her cell phone with her, but there wasn't a signal. Fortunately, she had carried in the elevator with her a jar of water and some celery sticks. At first, she said to herself, this can't be happening. But then she decided to turn her elevator into a personal prayer retreat. It was either panic or pray, she later told an interviewer for CNN. She started viewing the experience as a gift. When she ran out of water, she found cough drops in her pocket that she sucked on to relieve her thirst. I believe that, the, that God's presence was my strength and joy. Really, she said. I felt God's presence almost immediately. I felt like he provided the opportunity for a closer relationship. She said she was thankful for the opportunity to get closer to God. Now, I've heard of people going on prayer retreats. But a forced four-day retreat in a broken elevator. Many people pray about having a better prayer life. We might even sing, right? Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it. Jesus is my plea. But I'm not sure any of us will want to get that kind of answer to our prayer. Prayer is a challenge. Not the momentary prayer as when we're in need. Those prayers come fast and easy, but the regular, daily discipline of prayer, that's a challenge. Both types of prayers are important. In the parallel passage to this, to the one we're looking at in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, in Luke 11, the disciples come to Jesus and ask him to teach us to pray. You see, prayer just isn't something that comes naturally. Oftentimes it does. It is conversational. But not all prayers are meant to be like that. It's necessary, as the disciples said, to be taught how to pray. That's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. The Lord's Prayer isn't so much a prayer to be prayed. Well, there's nothing wrong with praying it. That's not the primary purpose of Jesus' teaching. Jesus said in verse 9, Pray like this. Pray in a manner like this. He's saying this is how you're supposed to pray, not this is what you are supposed to pray. And as he just said in verse 7, to be cautious about repeating words in prayer for repetition's sake. Prayer is not repeating the right words the right amount of times. True prayer is not by rote and repeat. True praying must engage our minds and our thoughts and our hearts and our will. True praying is communication, not just repetition. It would be better if this prayer was called the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is actually the model. It's actually a pattern given to us by Jesus to teach us how to pray. Guess what today Jesus wants to do? Guess what? Jesus today wants to teach us how to pray. So please turn in your Bibles there with, to Matthew chapter 6. Starting at verse 9. So I read again. 
the model prayer. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, now we come to you in these moments to learn from you. To learn from Jesus. To learn from his words. To teach us to pray. So stir in us, Holy Spirit. Stir our hearts and our minds to change and to conform our thoughts and our will to your thoughts and to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. The model prayer by Jesus has an introduction and then six petitions. Three focused on God himself and three focused on God's help for us. Today we're going to look at how this model prayer teaches us to start with worship. To start with adoration of the Father. The first words of the model prayer, the introduction or the salutation is, Our Father in Heaven. Now we, most often in our prayers, following the pattern of the model prayer, we start off most of our prayers with, Dear Heavenly Father. See, both beginnings have the same two main words, Father and Heaven. Although the term Father as relating to God was not unknown to the Jews of Jesus' day, it was extremely rare. The Jews of Jesus' period preferred to address God as Sovereign Lord, as the King of the universe. They had lost most any sense of the intimate fatherhood of God. God was remote. He was out there. He was distant. One commentator wrote, the Jews of Jesus' day were inclined on the whole to conceive of God as so exalted that personal relationship with him could scarcely be imagined. He was so transcendent that the riches of his personality were frequently lost in view. On the other hand, Jesus, our Lord, uses the term Father so uniquely It must have been refreshingly, stunningly powerful for his followers. Just in the Sermon on the Mount alone, Jesus refers to God as Father 16 times. Of course, Jesus is the Son of God in a unique way. He's the one, true, only Son of God. God is uniquely his Father. The way Jesus addressed God is part of the largest picture of his eternal relationship with the Father and the Godhead. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. To say the least, God is not our Father in the same way. Jesus is the Son of God. We can become a son or daughter of God. Our process of joining the family of God is through adoption. John 1, John 1, 12 and 13 says this clearly. It says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were not born, not 
not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The only people who are children of God have become children of God. One only becomes a child of God by receiving him, by choosing him, by believing his name, by grace, through faith, confessing Jesus as the leader and forgiver, the Lord and Savior of their lives. Upon our confession of faith and trust, we become a child of God. We get adopted into God's forever family. We're born again by the will of God into his family. The remarkable truth that Jesus is teaching in this sermon is that we, as adopted children of God, get to have the same quality of relationship that he has with the Father. Think about that for a moment. Ponder that for a moment. Our God is our Father, the sovereign King of the universe, is our Father. Not a distant potentate to be appeased. Not some remote, detached, withdrawn ruler. God is not watching from a distance. But he's our father. He's close. He's intimate. He's caring. Strong. Loving. Faithful. And he's zealous about us. When we pray, we're coming to our father. As a child has the ear of their father, so we as children of God have the ear of our father. An iconic American picture came to mind as I was thinking about this. Remember this picture? This picture of John Jr. playing under the desk of his father. There he is sticking his head out from underneath the resolute desk. While his father, President John F. Kennedy, is working. He's not playing at the feet of the leader of the free world. He's not playing under the desk of the most, one of the most powerful men on earth. He's playing at his father's feet. No hoops to jump through. No certain words to say. Just an intimate, loving connection to his father. Beloved, I can't stress with you enough that the kind of connection that we have with God as our Father. The Apostle Paul said of our adoption in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Abba. It's not a Swedish pop band from the 70s. It's a transliterated Aramic word. That transliterated means that it's spelled the same in the original as it is in our translation. A-B-B-A. The word Abba is what a child calls their father. The word Abba is one of the very first words that a child calls would ever learn. What's one of the first words our children ever learn? Daddy. Dada. That's what Abba means. Paul is saying 
That for those of us who have received the adoption as sons, as daughters of God, we have become the very children of God, and we cry out to God from our souls to our Father, Daddy, Abba, Father. That's the level of connection. That's the level of love. That's the level of acceptance. That's the level of access. It's that intimate. It's that close. Pastor Greg Groschel wrote, If you call me Pastor Greg, chances are you might know a little about me. Know what I do. Maybe you've heard me speak. Maybe you're familiar with some of my favorite topics and my upfront personality. But your use of my title doesn't mean that you know me personally. Or you just might call me Craig. And I usually assume that you know me even better. My, my friends call me Craig and we're close. Then there are those who possess exclusive rights to a specialized few, far more intimate forms of address. See, there are those six beautiful small people, very dear to me, whom I allow to climb up on my lap. They rub their hands on my face and they say things like, you need a shave. And you're the best. Can I have some candy? They call me Daddy. The name reveals the intimacy. I'm about ready to balance this teaching, as Jesus does in the model prayer. But perhaps today, perhaps today, the most important truth that you need to grasp as a child of God is that you have a good, good father. That is who he is. And you are loved by Him. That is who you are. A beloved son of God. A beloved daughter of God. I've been a pastor for almost 30 years now. And I work hard, day in and day out, to further God's kingdom. I work hard to please God. I fail at it much more than most But guess what I do? I get up the next day and I press on. A few years ago at a pastor's conference, after a time of teaching on the subject of the fatherhood of God and our intimate relationship with him, we were encouraged to pray to God. Not not just praying about pleasing him, but to know that God is already pleased. That we instead serve him in the midst of an already accepted relationship with God. Not one based on our performance, but one based on his love and based on Christ's forgiveness. Of course I knew this. I knew it was true. I cherished that truth. But God wanted to drive it home for me that day into my heart. See, it's so easy for us as Christians. So easy for us even as pastors To get into this false notion that God's acceptance of us, God's love for us, God's affection for us, is somehow dependent upon our performance, somehow dependent upon our actions. We all know we're not saved by our performance, by our actions, but somehow the message suddenly gets to us that that now that we've been saved, God's expectations of us kind of override his acceptance of us. We fall into that lie that God's pleasure in us, that God's acceptance of us is based upon us, our performance, our actions. 
Many of that earthly fathers where they felt they needed to earn their favor, their love, their acceptance by their actions. One of the big potholes of our walks with God is, is feeling that same way about God. One of the great lies we often believe is that we need to earn God's approval by our own actions. At that time of prayer, at that pastor's conference, the truth that God loves me, not based upon my actions, the truth that I'm a child of God first and only because of the work of Jesus Christ in my life, the truth that I can do nothing more to earn God's acceptance, the truth that God loves me right now just as he always has, just as he always will, it overwhelmed me and in the intimacy of those moments with God, his spirit impressed upon my spirit, these simple words, you are my son, that's my boy. The very same words I say in intimacy to my own son, God said to me, my spirit to his spirit. That's my boy. And guess what? My soul cried out, Abba, Father. The tears froze freely. I was so powerfully reminded that God is my Father, that I'm His Son, forever part of His family, forever loved, forever accepted, forever His, bonded together because of Jesus Christ. Because of what He has done for us. Because of all that He did. That day, God reminded me of his willing adoption of me, his choice of me. Today, God reminds you of his willing adoption of you. He chose you. He loves you. He wants you. He's your father. He's saying to you, you're my son. My daughter. And because of that, we serve him, not for his acceptance, but because of his acceptance. We serve him not for his love, but because of his uh, love. We serve him not for his favor, but because of his favor and grace and kindness. We serve him to not earn his approval, but because we already have it as his child Through Jesus Christ. Think about it. How about you? Think about this. How about you? This is so important. Not only can it revolutionize your your praying, but it can transform your everyday 24-7 life. God today wants to remind you that you're his child. That he's your father. That he cannot love you any more than he already does. So with a renewed focus on God as our Father, see, prayer changes from a laundry list of wants to time spent in conversation with your Father. A daily time in God's Word changes from duty to time spent to getting to know your Father. Volunteering service at church changes from something you feel like you have to do and guilt to something you want to do out of a heart of gratitude. To your father. Sharing the gospel changes from some memorized spiel 
to sharing about this relationship that has revolutionized your life and wanting others to know the love that you've been loved with. Loving others changes from a Christian commandment to loving others because you have received the love of the Father. If your everyday relationship with God, your Father, is based upon your performance, and not on Christ's forgiveness, everything becomes harder. Everything becomes a burden and a challenge. But, if your relationship with God, your Father, is not based on your performance, but on Christ's forgiveness, everything you do becomes an act of worship. Everything you do becomes an act of appreciation and adoration. Everything you do becomes thanksgiving and gratitude. The truth that you are a child of God, the truth that His grace and His mercy, His love, His forgiveness, is for you can totally change not just your spiritual life, but your everyday work, family, relationships. Today you need to get out of the hamster wheel of Christianity. You need to get out and stop being compelled by your own actions. Stop being compelled by guilt. Stop being compelled by rules. And instead, be compelled by His love. Instead, be compelled by His acceptance. Instead, be compelled by what Jesus Christ has done for you. Instead, be compelled because you're a child of the Father. Your life will be transformed. I want to take a moment right now, right in the midst of this sermon, I just want to stop and take a moment and pray. So let's all bow our heads and pray. Because maybe today, right now, you need to acknowledge you're in this pothole and you're trying to please God. You're trying to earn His favor. And you just need to pray to Him right now, realizing that you can't earn it. It's already been given. Pray thanking God that he adopted you as his child. Pray thanking God that his love and acceptance is not based on your performance, but Christ's forgiveness. Pray to your Father, asking him to help you to live out a life of gratitude. Pray asking your Father to transform your life from duty to delight. Pray. We're praying here. Maybe maybe as you're sitting here with your head bowed and you realize then that you can't even call him your father. You just have your head bowed because that's what you're supposed to be doing. You've never really believed and received and become. You've never been adopted into this forever family. But right now, as everyone is praying and pouring out their heart to God, you can pray too. You can pray from your heart right now these words and become part of this family. Say from your heart, 
your own words, Father, I believe. I believe Jesus died for my sins. That he took the penalty of my sins and he rose again, proving that all he said was true. Father, I receive Jesus. I choose Jesus. I confess Jesus as the leader of my life. And Father, now I want to thank you because of Jesus, because of what he did, I am now an adopted child, a forever member of your family, a son or a daughter. Pray. You've never come to God, your Father, through Jesus Christ. Pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you want some words of encouragement, some help, especially if you prayed the prayer uh, to believe and to receive and become today, make sure and connect with me. Be my great privilege to serve you and encourage you. You know, understanding the intimate, beautiful fatherhood of God in our lives leads our heart to cry out. We cry out our Father. But the model prayer, starting with worship, doesn't end there. See, one of the most important things to understand about God, he's the most complete, most balanced, most perfect person. It is to our detriment that we lose sight of this truth and overly focus on just a few attributes of God. It's quite common in our day, inside the church and outside the church. The main aspect of God that people like to overemphasize is love. All while downplaying or totally ignoring all the other aspects of God. Much of liberal Christianity or pop Christianity, superficial Christianity, focuses only on a God of love, God of grace and kindness. In their view, God becomes the most unbalanced, most incomplete, most imperfect person. Gone is his justice, his righteousness, his sovereignty, his wrath, his omnipotence, his holiness. We must not, as we cling to the precious truth, that our heart calls out, Abba, Father. We must not forget or minimize God is our Father. But he's so much more than that. Jesus, in his model prayer, as he challenges us to start our prayer off with worship of who our God is, he teaches us to come in prayer saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The reference to heaven isn't talking about God's location. The reference to heaven isn't giving us his address. It's a reference to his transcendence. God is both with us, fatherly loving us, and he's transcendent above us, above time and space, filling the universe with his being, above and totally unaffected in his being by anything that he has created. He is our Father, yes. He is our God. It is with this balanced understanding of his transcendence that we come to more fully appreciate and cherish the miracle of God being our Father. One commentator said, in heaven is not God's postal address. 
It indicates not so much his location as his elevation above human beings, his complete separation from human corruption. Our Father awakens love in our hearts. In heaven engenders awe. And these two together constitute worship. The invocation is a blending of intimacy and majesty. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would care for him? Our God is transcendent in heaven. What are we? That God would be mindful of us. It's very popular today to say that, well, God loves everyone and everyone's a child of God and God accepts everyone and we don't conform to God's truth, but God conforms to our truth and whatever we want him to be. I mean, God is just the best, most non-judgmental, total love, total jello God. You can mold him and make him into anything you want him to be. Folks, God has revealed himself. He has told us who he is and we must not, we cannot, and we dare not proclaim or declare otherwise. Jesus modeled for us in the opening of his prayer as we inaugurate our prayer in worship. We need to recount the fullness of who our God is. Our Father, intimate and relational and loving and acceptance, who is in heaven, transcendent, creator, above, other, hallowed, be your name, holy, separate, set apart, exalted above all names to be your name. Hallowed comes from the Greek word meaning to sanctify, to consider holy, to be set apart. The beginning of 1 Peter 3.15 uses the same word saying, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. You could say, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as hallowed. And to call on God's name is to call on God himself. To call on his nature, to call on his whole person. When God reveals his names, he is revealing who he is. Our God is holy. Holiness is God's perfection of character without flaw and without sin. Holiness is God's perfection of character without flaw and without sin. God is called the Holy One of Israel. The psalmist exclaims, the Lord our God is holy. The angels are on the throne call out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory In Revelation, it says, holy, 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 the angels call, is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. See, God's holiness makes him unique. He's unlike any other, set apart in his perfection. He's holy in his character, meaning that everything he does is holy. Everything he does is holy. Think about this. His love is holy. His justice is holy. His grace is holy. Praying hallowed be your name is a tribute to God, the holiness that he already is, always has been, and supremely, uniquely is his alone. 
To hallow God's name is to pray that God would be revered and honored and glorified and set apart and obeyed. When we pray hallowed or holy be your name, we're praying that God would get the rightful worship that is due him. We're praying that God would get the rightful recognition in our lives, in our church, in our world, in our community, that he is the Holy One. Psalm 29, 1 through 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Jesus is teaching in his model prayer for us to start our prayers off with worship with adoration, with recognizing who God is and His character and His attributes. The first object of our prayers is not us, but God. Not our needs, but God's character. Prayer is not focused on us, but the beginning of prayer is focused on God. We pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Rightfully adorning God for who He is, correctly sets the tone for a powerful prayer. With the hymn writer, right? Our hearts cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Now I could go on reading the rest of that hymn, or... We could all together in worship from our heart, with our voices, strong together, sing together. Holy, holy, holy. Let's stand up and sing together.